0: Welcome to the Risk Roundtable, where claims and litigation management professionals learn strategies to mitigate risk and improve your business's bottom line. Presented by Weber Gallagher, this series delivers industry insights from leading lawyers regarding professional liability, insurance coverage, employment, workers' compensation, general liability, and more. This program should not be considered legal advice. Please consult our attorneys for your specific situation. Thank you for listening, and please visit us at wglaw.com.
1: Hi, this is Jim Wesco of Weber-Gallagher. I'm the chairman of the uh, Commercial Motor Vehicle Transportation Department, and I'm here to do a Weber-Gallagher podcast on the issue of broker liability in the trucking context. Thank you very much for taking time to listen. Um, We're here today primarily to talk about situations where brokers Um, are brought into third-party liability, wrongful death or bodily injury claims, cargo claims, towing claims, um, when all the broker did uh, as part of the uh, transportation of the goods was to arrange for the transportation. As we all know, brokers don't touch the cargo. They don't own trucks. They don't employ drivers. They merely connect shippers who are looking for a motor carrier to transport their goods with a motor carrier. And the issues that have arisen in the past 20 years, but particularly in the last 10 years, um, are that the plaintiff's bar, when looking for uh, potential sources of revenue to collect from when they sue uh, the trucking companies, are also finding the brokers to be rather lucrative targets. But as we'll talk about, there's a unique set of facts and circumstances that bring these claims to light and make them such dangerous claims. And as we'll also talk about, the United States Supreme Court didn't do any of us any favors in its recent uh, decision not to overturn or even review a critical case that came out of the Ninth Circuit involving broker liability in a bodily injury context. So let's just talk uh, really quickly about the parties at issue here. Now, we know that a broker, as defined by 49 U.S.C. 13102, subsection 2, is a person other than a motor carrier or an employee or an agent of a motor carrier that as a principal or agent sells, offer for sale, negotiates for or holds itself out by solicitation, advertisement, and otherwise as selling, providing, or arranging for transportation by a motor carrier for compensation. Like I said before, it's pretty simple. A broker is the arranger. They connect shippers with carriers. Motor carrier, obviously, is the person providing the commercial transportation um, in a motor vehicle. And the um, problem, as we'll talk about, is that when there are serious bodily injury or wrongful death claims or big cargo losses, that the brokers are being sucked into these, uh, these claims and these lawsuits um, under theories that uh, negligent hiring, negligent selection, that the broker somehow failed to select a safe, competent, or insured motor carrier to provide the transportation services. It's basically an argument that the, uh, Plainest bar makes. How can a broker, uh, how can a broker have hired such a lousy motor carrier? And these cases are um, unique in that the 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 reported cases and the cases that we hear about the really bad cases where brokers are getting whacked for these big um, damage awards or damage settlements is um, where you typically have motor carrier that has a very um, limited amount of insurance now some of us defend motor carriers that have very large self-insured retentions Um, and when we think of motor carriers we typically think of you know the the transport topics top 100 list of motor carriers but as of um, february of 2021 we need to know that there are approximately 996 thousand registered motor carriers in the United States. According to the American Trucking Association, about 92% of all the trucking companies in the United States have less than six trucks. 97% of all the trucking companies in the United States have less than 20 trucks, right? And if you factor in the estimate that about 30 to 40% of all shipments are broker, you come out with the math that there are approximately 3.5 million shipments a day. 30% of those are brokered. And 30% of 3.5 million shipments on a daily basis is a lot of opportunity for mischief by the bar. Right? And what we typically find here is that we have um, bigger, and, and through consolidation, we have bigger and bigger brokers that are tendering loads on behalf of their big shipper clients to small um, insurance companies who may have only a million dollars worth of coverage. And what happens is when the plaintiff's attorney goes to sue the motor carrier in a catastrophic accident or injury event or a fatality event, they look at the motor, motor carrier and say, well, that's not enough insurance for me. Who else can I go after? Enter the broker, enter big brokers. Like C.H. Robinson, Global Trans, you know, and, and many of the big uh, motor carriers in the transport topics top one hundred also have brokerage divisions. So you have the situation where the broker then becomes actually the primary target because they have the most insurance, right? and it is a uh, pervasive, um, more and more uh, frequently litigated issue. Um, and the plaintiff's bar has been motivated by recent successes. And over the past 20 years, the primary argument or the primary defense that the brokers have used to uh, push back against these claims was the argument that these types of claims against the broker are preempted by federal law. And there's a specific provision of federal law 49 USC uh, 14501C, which is part of the, uh, or it's called F4A prevention. It's part of the Federal Aviation Administration's Authorization Act. And it basically contains provisions in there that say that any uh, state law that concerns the price, route, or service of a broker is preempted by federal law. The problem with that is that the The federal courts uh, throughout the country have been all over the place in interpreting 14501C and uh, applying it uniformly to preempt these types of claims. Um, And it's been, it's under attack and it's getting worse and worse and there's more and more uncertainty. And as we'll talk about, There was a case, the Miller versus C.H. Robinson case in the Ninth Circuit, where the uh, Ninth Circuit ruled that these claims are not preempted. And C.H. Robinson filed an appeal or filed a writ to the United States Supreme Court. And for about eight months, the Supreme Court uh, decided or or considered whether or not they were going to accept it for review to um, resolve the split among the circuit courts as to whether or not uh, 14501C does indeed preempt these types of claims against brokers. The problem is that the Supreme Court uh, denied the writ and basically upheld the Ninth Circuit's ruling that preemption does not apply. And as we'll talk about in a few minutes, you know, there's conflicts with cases in other circuits and other jurisdictions where it was ruled that it does apply. So we have a, a great uncertainty um, in the courts now as to whether or not preemption will, in fact, be an effective weapon. For many years, I don't. I won't uh, bore you with the cases, but it's easily um, findable. Um, for many years, the cases um, were consistently in favor of preemption, and it was a very effective shield against these types of claims. But over time, the plaintiff's bar has eroded it, and eroded it, and eroded it, and eroded it until the point now, with this Miller case, um, it's, uh, these claims are back in play again. So, um, so you know, it's a, it's a new development. We have to remember that brokers didn't even exist prior to deregulation of the trucking industry in the, in the early 1980s. Um, and you have, the, the, you, know, you have these claims just uh, coming out of nowhere. So let's talk a little bit about preemption. Uh, like I said, the courts have struggled with uh, F4A preemption in these types of cases. We have a crazy patchwork of conflicting or duplicative rules. We have uncertainty that's going to affect, adversely affect the market and the free flow of goods. What's going to happen is brokers, the smaller ones particularly, are going to have to uh, leave the market, because they're not going to be able to afford the insurance that is required for these big claims and exposure. Motor carriers need brokers. The market needs brokers. It's going to result in increased costs to manufacturers and to end-use consumers, and the floodgates of litigation, to the extent they all aren't already opened, will be opened uh, to an even greater extent. Um, And again, the argument goes back to the broker is how could you have selected such a bad actor? And what you have to realize, too, is that the plaintiff's attorneys, when they file these types of lawsuits, they look for the cases with the absolute worst facts. They, They look for the broker who has a lot of insurance, who's well capitalized, and has sophisticated processes and procedures who then hires a motor carrier that is very, for lack of better uh, words, they're just bad actors. They have bad drivers. They have bad equipment. Uh, they don't have a comprehensive safety program. And invariably, these are the type of motor carriers, these small uh, Motor carriers with poor safety protocols, bad drivers who get into these catastrophic accidents and then have limited insurance proceeds, thus, necessitating the plaintiff's attorneys to look to the brokers for recovery. So, what's caused this mess? And we have to realize, too, that the Supreme Court of the United States has already provided proper analysis regarding F4A preemption of negligence claims against brokers. There was a case uh, uh, up in New Hampshire um, that involved the uh, state trying to regulate the interstate transportation of cigarettes. And the Supreme Court said that you know, that is something that is preempted under F4A. And it's... Um, it's, it's um, But since then, there have been... Like I said, there's been a chiseling away of the uh, arguments against the broker's so let's take a close look at the argument. We have to remember that the F-4A prohibits state and local governments from enacting or enforcing a law or regulation or other provision having the force and effect of law related to price, route, or service of any motor carrier with the respect to goods. Okay. That's the original F-4A. In 1994, Congress went a step further, further to bolster the concept of deregulation, not, what, not just with respect to motor carriers, but to other entities in the transportation universe. And that involved specifically brokers. Instead, a state may not enact or enforce a law, regulation or other provision having the force and effect of law related to price, route or service of any motor carrier or any private carrier, broker or freight forwarder with the transportation of property, right? And in the Supreme Court in Roe stated that state enforcement actions having a connection with or reference to carrier rates, routes, or services are preempted, and that such preemption may occur even if a state law's effects on rates, routes, or services is only indirect, and it makes no difference whether a state law is inconsistent or consistent with federal regulation. And most importantly, it says that preemption occurs at least where state laws have a significant impact related to Congress's deregulatory and preemption-related objectives. So on the surface, the Roe case is a strong supporter of preemption. The mess gets messier. The problem is the lower court's inability to reconcile the Roe case, which again occurred uh, concerned Uh, uh, the state of Maine's attempt to regulate the interstate transportation of tobacco with personal injury claims uh, that are based on state common law negligence claims. Some state laws we know are obviously too tenuously related to the prices, routes and services of motor carriers and brokers, such as anti-gambling laws uh, affecting truck drivers, and they're not preempted. So where do the negligence cases fall in the spectrum? That's the issue. Is state common law covered by the F4A? In other words, is common law negligence a law, regulation, or other provision having the force of law? The answer should be yes, because the F4A's preemptive scope includes state statutes, state administrative regulations, and state law private causes of action. But that's not necessarily the case. There are several courts that have found that state law negligence claims Um, are outside the scope of that. Uh, Despite the foregoing authority, they found that state law negligence claims against brokers do not affect the services of brokers. Uh, There's an added wrinkle, even when some courts have found that state common law negligence claims do in fact affect the services of the broker and as such are preempted, those courts have focused on the safety exception to 14501C. And there's a second part to 501c, which is that FAA pre- preemption shall not restrict the safety regulatory authority of a state with respect to motor vehicles. And the issue there is that the courts can say, well, the first part of uh, 14501c does allow for preemption, but there's a second part that says that the states have the power to regulate the safety uh, and regulatory authority of uh, of um, brokers, and that's where the courts are kind of finding a, a, a um, kind of an out to uh, find that while the negligence claims under the first part of 14501C are preempted, under the safety exception, they're not. And you can see how a state court judge would have problems resolving this argument, um, particularly where um, the case is all over the place. Um, and there are many reasons for this. First, the uh, F4A is not as clear as the courts would like. Second, like we talked about before, these cases are difficult for the courts. They're typically catastrophic. And if preemption is applied, the claimant is invariably left with grossly insufficient insurance money from the motor carrier. And also, like we said before, the plaintiff's bar is very careful to select the very worst cases to bring to the court with very bad drivers and bad companies. So the courts struggle with that. They don't want to leave these claimants out with very little or nothing um, when there's this out through the safety exception under the F4A to allow it. And to summarize, the, the brokers make the argument, the language used in the F4A's preemption provisions make it clear that common law negligence claims fall within the preemptive scope of 14.501C and not the safety exception of the second part of fourteen five hundred one C. And Like I said, the cases all over the place. Um, there are uh, cases where state law negligence claims were found not to affect the prices, routes, and services of brokers, and as such, were not preempted. And then there are cases where the courts have found that state law negligence claims do affect the prices, routes, and services, right? and are preempted. Some courts have ruled that state law claims do affect some prices, goods, and services, but the safety exception applies. So, And these cases are so so all over the place that even courts in the same state, there are different outcomes. There are cases in Pennsylvania with different outcomes. There are cases in Illinois, where the courts are considering debate the same issues and find different outcomes. What do you notice about all these cases? If you look at the, if you uh, do a Lexis or Westlaw search, you find that they're all trial court decisions um, with the exception of the Miller versus C.H. Robinson case, which I referenced earlier, which is a, a case in the uh, Court of Appeals. Why do these cases end up uh, just as trial court cases? Because if the broker loses the preemption argument, it has to settle as the broker will not want the jury to hear the inflammatory testimony about the accident and the motor carrier's lack of qualifications. If the plaintiff loses on the preemption issue, he or she has to settle, as the absence of the deep pockets of the broker make trial very cost prohibitive. So you'll see these issues being uh, addressed on motions for summary judgment, on motions for judgment on the pleadings, or a motion to dismiss. The problem with that is that, uh, like we said before, the plaintiff's bar is careful to select the the very worst factual cases. And we all know that bad facts make bad law. And again, there are courts that have ruled that state law negligence claims um, do affect prices, routes and services, and the safety exception does not apply, which means that, you know, it's total preemption on both aspects of 14501c. But again, the cases are all over the place. So how is this going to be resolved? Well, we go back to the Miller versus C.A. Robinson case. It was a negligent selection claim against the broker, C.A. Robinson. The district court dismissed the claim based on F4A preemption, finding that the broker's selection of the motor carrier was a price, route, or service of the broker, and as such was subject to F4A preemption. So the court didn't even get to the second prong of uh, F4A. But on the appeal, the United States uh, Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit reversed and found that the safety exception applied, thus precluding F4A preemption. A petition for writ of certiorari was filed so that the United States Supreme Court w- could hopefully uh, resolve the split among the courts. And if we look at this case, going back to what I said before about bad facts, we have a case where the driver was. Uh, uh, on an icy road in uh, Elko, uh, out west in Elko, Nevada. He crossed over the, 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 the median and the resulting injuries were resulting in the, the plaintiff being rendered um, quadriplegic. They were The trucking company was a small trucking company with a, a long history of safety uh, violations and out-of-service violations. Forty percent of their trucks failed roadside DOT inspections, they were um, um, uh, charged with uh, falsifying logs, and they had a their out of service um, rate was two times the national average. So again, we have a situation where there was catastrophic injury, a big, well funded broker, and a really um, um, low quality motor carrier with. Uh, a, a vast history of safety issues, hours of service issues, that if the jury were to hear this, obviously, um, you know, the broker would have a very difficult time um, defending that those facts absent the preemption argument because the jury's going to hear all these inflammatory facts and they're not going to care about preemption and there's going to be a bad result. But the Supreme Court did no one any favor. And created a wild, wild west scenario by punting on the uh, appeal and refusing to consider it. So, in the Ninth Circuit, the preemption um, argument has been very adversely affected, um, and the plaintiffs' bar couldn't be happier. And after all, they consider F four A preemption to be an effort of de facto uh, to be an effort to get de facto immunity by the industry. And they argue that there's nothing in F uh, four A that mandates preemption, and it's a concoction by the industry to protect rogue carriers and the negligent brokers who hire them. And they also cite cases. um, And the one case that they cite is the US Supreme Court's ruling in the Dan City used cars case. um, And they argue that case says that any conduct that occurred pre-transportation or post-transportation of property is not preempted. So by that argument, all the brokers actions in vetting a motor carrier occur pre-transportation, so they would not preempt, be preempted. Conduct, they also argue that conduct not connected to the services of a motor carrier are not preempted. And they argue that conduct that does not impose significant governmental control of the trucking industry is not preempted. Right? And basically, their argument, their, most, their biggest argument is that a law leaving an injured party without recourse from a negligent entity is not a law that would be intended by a rational Congress. the Supreme Court, as we've known from recent rulings, has really been in favor of pushing back a lot of these issues to the states. They're more originalist in nature and tone, and they are trying to uh, put a stem to uh, what others would consider a tide of excessive federal regulation over issues that are really the state's problems or state's issues. And in this case, they decided that, you know, a state has the power to um, decide um, about safety issues involving motor carriers and brokers. And it's an issue that's best left to the states. And it shouldn't be something that's, uh, those types of negligence in that context shouldn't be preempted by federal law. So um, the plaintiff's bar smells blood in the water and they're not gonna be dissuaded by contrary authority. They have enough cases to cite in support of their position to make the claims and make the arguments. And if they can defeat a summary judgment motion by the broker, they're gonna get their money. And again, with the proliferation of large, well-insured and well-capitalized brokers, they have more incentive than ever to bring these claims. But the good news is, That there still are arguments to be made if you are defending a broker against these types of rules, against this tide of um, anti-preemption authority, Um, and the state and the Supreme Court's um, refusal to consider the Miller versus C.H. Robinson case. And one of the most effective um, arguments, I think, is 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 to go back and almost make a make a, a commerce clause argument, if you will. And there is sufficient authority that you can raise these types of arguments. And the authority comes from the Surface Transportation Board, right? Um, And in responding to lawsuits, alleging the property broker broker liability for bodily injury, property damage or cargo loss, or uh, liability claims is that the Surface Transportation Board, which is the federal agency that has jurisdiction over motor carriers, freight forwarders and brokers, stated in an interim in 1987 and a final 1988 rule that brokers are different than motor carriers and are not subject to liability for bodily injury property damage or cargo loss or damage and thus do not need liability insurance for those claims the surface transportation board further found that the brokers are intermediaries who need only provide security for the fiduciary financial dealings as a go-between the shippers and carriers. So if you argue that the STB rules and the reasoning expressed in those rules is akin to legislative history that the court should consider when considering broker liability arguments. And these arguments just don't go for personal injury or wrongful death claims. They go for cargo liability claims when you know, the, the, the subrogated insurer or the shipper is suing the motor carrier and the broker for cargo claims. It also applies to towing claims. If there's a motor carrier that overturns and there's a huge towing and storage bill arising from that, and the motor carrier only has a, you know, it has no insurance or limited proceeds, or that was a one truck Charlie, and that's the only truck they have, and they went out of business. Against whom are they left to pursue a claim? The broker, arguably, these STB uh, interim and final rules uh, are again are akin to legislative history, and it can be used uh, to to educate the court, so to speak, in the face of these uh, wildly conflicting. Um, decisions on for a presumption that have really muddied the waters, you can point the court to these STB rulings, uh, the uh, interim and final ruling, and say, hey, look, this is what Congress really intended, and this is what the STB has determined that brokers are liable for. And the answer to that is nothing. They're merely intermediaries. And the argument you should make along with that is that the federal government is tasked with determining whether a motor carrier is safe. Right? we have um, uh, s- safety ratings. Right? We have satisfactory um, ratings. The problem is that many, mo- many, many motor carriers are non are not even rated. But you know, the government is tasked with mandating uh, or, or determining which motor carrier is authorized, or which m- motor carrier has authority. So if you make the argument that the government is tasked with determining whether or not a motor carrier is safe, and so long as a broker selects one of those carriers that the federal government has already vetted, and you combine it with the STB arguments, you have effective um, arrows in your quiver to push back against the courts and their uncertainty and misunderstanding um, and refusal to apply F4A preemption. So. Despite the Miller versus, uh, but them, despite the, despite the Miller C.H. Robinson case and the Supreme Court's refusal to address the issue, there is hope. There still are strategies, very effective strategies, in trying to defeat these claims. Uh, but often, though, you know, if the court refuses to grant your motion for summary judgment. Um, The only recourse is to settle these claims because, again, you can't have the jury hearing all of these inflammatory facts about how bad the motor carrier is, um, despite all of your um, sound legal theories to argue that this wasn't the broker's responsibility to do this level of vetting in the first place. So that's the state of the um, legal universe with respect to claims against uh, brokers in personal injury and cargo and towing claims Uh, There still are effective weapons uh, to be fired in defending these claims. But unfortunately, um, the most effective weapon, the preemptive effect of 14501C, has been seriously undermined by the Supreme Court and by the Ninth Circuit. And you're much less likely, arguably, to prevail on summary judgment on a strictly uh, preemption based 14501c based argument but coupled with the stb arguments the legal uh, the, the legislative history arguments uh, you have a better chance it's still a, still a jungle out there it's not going to be easy again bad facts make bad law these are tough cases to handle but fight on we will if you have any questions about this please contact me um, look on the website at Weber Gallagher. I'm um, at jwesco at wglaw.com. I thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Risk Roundtable presented by Weber Gallagher. We hope you join us next time to learn more about mitigating risk to improve your bottom line. Until then, please visit us at wglaw.com.